So, do you have it? Do you have it? It has fascinated me down through the years how many times what we talk about in here correspond to what's going on in children's ministry or vice versa. There are times that they'll have a family experience and they'll talk about a certain aspect of life and all of that and all of a sudden to find out we're doing it here or back and forth. So when I heard them sing that song this summer in vacation Bible school, I thought, what are the odds that we're doing the fruit of the Spirit this fall and summer? So I said to them, you ought to sing that song. And somebody said, you're not going to allow them to do that on a Sunday morning. And I said, oh, yes, I will. <laughs> so I'm glad they did. We are back together with the fruit of the Spirit. Somebody took over my fruit stand while I was gone. So I've got to flip that over. Those kids in the first service were priceless. They're all sitting in the front row ready to sing. And they're all saying, you got to move that sign. Somebody took your sign. Somebody put your sign up there. You need to take that off. That's your fruit stand. I'm going, relax. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> Jesus clearly indicated all through his life that you would know which ones are his disciples. It's in your sermon notes, and this is a great line. It's not by a label, but by their life. No matter what you say or even what you call yourself, it's by label. He knew that his followers would be different. You could hear him say things like, you see people do this. I want you to know you're going to follow me and you will treat them different. He says things like at the very first sermon, you have heard it said, but I say. You have heard it said, but I say. Over and over again, you can see him saying, look... People who follow me are going to live their life different. They're going to act differently. They're going to look at people differently. They're going to treat people differently. It was almost as if every time Jesus began to speak, he began to raise the bar higher and higher. He had high expectations of you and I who would follow him. And he knew if I just shared it, just lived it, just showed you, and then when I leave, send you my spirit. And if you let him, which is a classic phrase that you need to underline somewhere. If you let him, he will indwell you, he will empower you, he will enable you to live the life that I'm calling you to. So that somewhere along the way, people are going to watch your life and look at your life, and they're going to say, what it is that makes you so different? What is it about you that makes you look that way, to act that way, to respond that way? What is inside of you that makes me want to say, tell me more? And you and I have the opportunity to say, it's life in Jesus. It's life in Jesus. That's what made the difference. It's not because I woke up this morning and decided I would be different. It's not because I just simply try harder or do the best that I can. It is life in Jesus. Let me tell you what God's done in my life. Let me tell you about peace. Let me tell you about joy. Let me tell you how he has talked to me in regards to my impatience. Let me tell you a little bit more so that you understand that this Jesus that I'm following is just not somebody I follow mindlessly, but it's somebody I've turned my life over to, and when I've done it, it changed me dramatically. And I'm not different because I smile or say thank you. I know people who are nice who are not followers of God. As a matter of fact, every once in a while, I find people who are nicer than some who claim to be followers of Jesus. Right? Have you? No one I know here. But I know you as well as I have. Seen people who don't even claim to follow God nicer than people who claim to do. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people whose life is filled with joy, filled with peace, really patient, who are really gentle, who are kind to the world around them, who keep their word, they're faithful. 
And in a world totally out of control, they have self-control. And it's not just one or two of these qualities, but all of them flowing out of their life so that the world around them says, I want some of that. I want to know what makes you that way. I want to know about your Jesus. Now today we've been pulling them apart over the last number of months to my favorite here today is patience. Somebody said to me, you should not do this one. You should have assigned this to somebody else because this isn't really you. I had people in the first service looking at my name attached to patience and said, this has got to be a misprint. You have somebody else doing this one. And I said, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to say? In the first service, I was on the third mic before it worked. I couldn't find my sermon anywhere. Somebody that I asked, have you seen my sermon book, said no, only to find out he was sitting on it. <laughs> I literally went through three microphones in the first service, and after the first service said, did they set you up or were you being punked? I said, no, it actually happened. I was on a third microphone before anything worked in the first service. I must be talking about patience. I ask you a question. You don't have to answer your, or raise your hand to this one. How many of you prayed for peace at the end of Bob's message last Sunday morning? And the bigger question is, how many of you got it immediately? Many of you may have. Maybe all of you did. I find it fascinating that patience follows peace. Now, somebody has said, well, they're just randomly put there. It wasn't like they're in order of any kind, and I agree with that. That Paul could have put them in any order. I do find it fascinating when it comes to finding peace and getting peace and going through incredibly difficult circumstances and being able to so submit it to God that in the middle of all the uncertainty of life, I find peace. find it fascinating that he follows that up with the word patience. Most of us who deal with impatience are by nature Federal Express personalities when it absolutely, positively has to be there overnight or right now. I am a FedEx person. I don't wait in line for very many things. If somebody said, you have an hour wait for this restaurant, I will not wait for that restaurant, even if it's Cracker Barrel. <laughs> as fine of a restaurant as that is. Do y'all travel with a Cracker Barrel map like we do? I mean, it's the only place we're going to stop. And if they tell me it's a 20-minute wait, I have the number for the very next one that's down the road, and I'll call them to find out how long their wait is. Most of us are that kind of people. Maybe it's not you, but I'm a FedEx person. Can you imagine what it was like to be in a Pony Express when it positively, absolutely had to be there in four months? How long they're going to wait? I've learned through the process of knowing God that when it comes to developing character and Christ-likeness, it is a process, not always an event. And I've got to be willing to allow God to work me through the process. You can't FedEx character. You can't microwave the fruit of the Spirit. It is a process. It begins as a seed, and then it grows and develops and becomes everything that God wants it to be. Remember Moses when he was so angry at an Egyptian soldier that he tried to do things on his own and end up killing the man. He ended up fleeing and spending the next 40 years on the backside of a desert because he was too impatient for waiting to wait for God to do his work. God spent the next 40 years developing character in Moses. The best attributes in our life many times are developed through a process if we allow the Spirit of God to do that. David spent years as a refugee in a cave, already anointed to be king, but fleeing for his life. 
Almost every character in Scripture went through not a microwave process, but what I call the crock pot process. Sometimes God wants us to slow cook and simmer, which makes us tender as he develops us. I've known a lot of great Christian orators. I've known a lot of incredibly, wonderfully gifted missionaries who spent most of their career in a given location to only see a few respond to the gospel of Christ. But they were absolutely certain that that's what God wanted them to do. And they left all of that in his hands. I know one missionary who literally fell apart leaving from one country to the next, who in the country she happened to be in, people were responding to Jesus by the droves and the country in Europe that God sent them to, nobody was responding and it almost sent her over the edge. I don't know if you were here this summer when Evan Evans was here. It was just a fascinating piece. At the very end of his message about what God is doing in Africa, to talk to us about what God had done through his parents' ministry in Vietnam. Who after all of those years in ministry and in 1975 when all of our missionaries had to be evacuated and so many people went around the world wondering what is ever going to happen to the CNMA church in Vietnam. Only to now, all of these years later, find that the CNMA church in Vietnam is stronger than the CNMA church in North America. And sometimes God works in the most unbelievable ways if we're willing just to walk with him no matter what, not always seeing the results, but waiting on him for that. The word wait is found over a hundred times in Scripture. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Isaiah, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. Psalm says, be still and know that I am God. You and I don't always do that well. We're always saying, don't just stand there, do something. And every once in a while, God wants to say to us, don't always be doing something. Stand there, sit there, stop, and listen to my voice. Heard a cute story of a little boy in a department store who was standing at the bottom of the escalator just watching the rail go around. Finally, the manager came over to him and said, are you lost, son? He said, no, I'm just waiting for my chewing gum to come back. Joseph Hayden wrote a musical two or three centuries ago where the flute player had to wait 75 measures until his turn and had one note. Somebody said, can you imagine the type of personality he was looking for to be able to play that one note after waiting 75 measures? Waiting and waiting and waiting. And all of a sudden you get to that point and I got one note. You had to say to yourself, you got one shot, buddy. Don't mess this one up because it's the only one you've got. When the Apostle Paul talks in Galatians chapter 5, he said, The people who follow me, who are spirit-filled, spirit-led, who are willing to allow God to so saturate their life with the power of his spirit, they are people who really do know and understand how to love. They are people who have found peace with themselves and with God. And they are people who are patient. Now, I want to ask you a question. You've got to honestly respond. How many of you are more patient with people or circumstances? When do you lose your patience with people or circumstances how many say people how many say circumstances how many say both like me how many of you are sitting beside the person that you are the most impatient no don't answer that one I mean there's so much in life that we have struggles with when it comes to finding patience we just got back from vacation and traveled I-95 that's all I need to say to anybody about trying to find patience I-95 coming up from the south somewhere along the way where you can go from 15 to 75 in a moment's notice without any rhyme or reason. 
I mean, no accidents, no occurrences, no construction. I couldn't believe it. We're going five miles an hour, 10 miles an hour, and all of a sudden my wife looks over and says, you're going 82. I said, I know, and people are passing me. And I'm looking around. There's absolutely no rhyme or reason to it at all. 422, how long does it take to finish a project? <laughs> Thank you very much. That's the way I go home every day. I, have, I am marketing a sign, and I think it'll go over well. I am marketing this sign. <laughs> right? How many of you want to buy one? <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you see my truck somewhere along the way stopping and taking down the sign that says, end row work to that one up, it is not me. It is somebody who borrowed my vehicle who's just doing some misdeeds and putting up those signs. But I'm telling you, I think they will go. How many, this is even the best. How many of you Butler parents got a little bit impatient this week when you found out your kids weren't going to school on Thursday? <laughs> I mean, of all good things, when I'm talking about patience and I find out on Wednesday that all of a sudden people are getting emails and one person's going, my kids aren't going to school tomorrow. My kids aren't going to school till next week. And I got to believe there was a lot of moms who weren't as excited about the fact that their kids weren't going to school on Thursday. And I thought, what are the odds that I'm speaking on patience on Sunday morning? So what is patience? Scripture interprets it as perseverance, endurance, forbearance, calmness, control of my emotions. And more importantly, my control of my responses to life, people, and circumstances. It literally means long wrath or slow anger, the ability to stay the course and not give in, not give up, and certainly not respond inappropriately, which basically means in context that we can handle our emotions and handle specifically our anger slowly. When God speaks to Moses, he said, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. God is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And because we said in the very first message of this series, the fruit of the Spirit are all attributes of God, we see God slow to anger or slow to respond. Now, a lot of times people think that anger is wrong. Not necessarily. It's when it's uncontrolled or it keeps churning deep down inside of us, and then all of a sudden we let it out inappropriately. Paul said, do not let that happen. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't let the sun go down upon your emotions. Which infers that we're going to have them. And we're going to have anger. He said, you just can't let that so churn. And then all of a sudden let it respond inappropriately. The root of impatience usually comes from some form of anger. And the very heart of that anger that is uncontrolled or unreleased or not under the power of God's spirit. Patience is slow response, slow anger. Now, if you're not having any trouble with anger or impatience, I get it. You can leave now, and we will still count you as attended. <laughs> but if you're like me, you find yourself so often in life having to stop long enough to look at the circumstance and the situation to recognize sometimes what it's doing to us internally. I'm not saying anger is wrong at all. I'm saying when it's not controlled or disciplined and develops into all kinds of impatience, many times responding in ways that are inappropriate. So what I'd love to do this morning is in your sermon notes, give you some keys to handling our emotions and more importantly in life, our responses. Now the first thing, we've got to be honest. 
We've got to be really honest as to whether or not we struggle with impatience. And if so, determine to deal with it. Because it can be managed. Proverbs 16 said, It's better to be slow-tempered than famous. Better to have self-control than to control an army. Anger directed in the right sense, for the right cause, managed correctly, can have and be a tremendous attribute. There are injustices in life where you have to, every once in a while, say, that is wrong. And there's something inside of you that churns and really does want to respond to that injustice. That is not right. The difference between people who see what's wrong and needs to be corrected is how we who are developing, growing, and infused by the Spirit of God respond to those injustices. We have a world filled with anger. I mean, you've got to know that. And the media doesn't help. They just keep telling us how mad everybody is. And then obviously we see it. We see the tweets. We see the responses. We see the anger coming out. We see the shots back and forth to one another. We see obviously physical, physically people taking it out on one another all over the planet. So it is a world filled with anger. What needs to happen to those of us who follow Christ is how we respond to those who look at life differently, who think differently than us, who vote differently than us, who are politically different than us. In all of those responses, what has to happen to those of us who know Christ is how we respond to all of those injustices and those things that we say, that is not right. Some say, well, that's just the way God made me. I explode, then I feel better. My cross to bear. Not really. It's the cross your family has to bear. Because it can be controlled. You can handle it, but it takes work. Which is fascinating that we're dealing with that on Labor Day of all weekend. Because it takes an enormous amount of work to be fully spiritually controlled. It needs to be recognized and it needs to be controlled. Because you and I have the ability to do that. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're going to have to use your imagination on this. That your kids are really bad. I mean, they've done something really, really wrong. And you're in the middle of responding to that circumstance. Now, again, I know you have to use your imagination because all your kids are perfect. But all of a sudden, you find yourself just all over the edge. And you're ranting and you're raving. And all of a sudden, the phone rings in the middle of all of that. And you pick up the phone. Hello. <laughs> and you find your kids want to be on the other end of that line. Because they know you know how to respond appropriately to what's going on around you. We can control it. What we have to determine is that we want to. Left unchecked or uncontrolled, it can be extremely dangerous, which why in your sermon notes it said anger is only one letter away from danger. Proverbs 29, a hot-tempered man starts fight and gets into all kinds of trouble. Proverbs 15, hot tempers cause arguments. Anger causes mistakes. 14, people with hot tempers do foolish things. Proverbs 11, the fool who provokes his family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing worthwhile left. It destroys relationships. Secondly, we've got to learn how to respond and not react. And this, to be honest with you, is one of the keys to it all. We've got to learn how to respond and not react. Again, going back to what I said before, they could all be randomly placed in there and the fruit of the Spirit and the order in which they're in. I just find it intriguing that right after patience comes kindness, goodness, and gentleness. Right after patience, when he said you've got to have that, 
If you're going to be spirit-filled, you've got to have the, the response to life. Let me just give you some keys to that. Gentleness, kindness, and goodness. Delay can be a dangerous tool. Now, I'm not talking, or be a tremendous tool. Not talking about delaying for weeks or months or stuffing it deep down in your soul. I'm talking about not reacting in the heat of the moment. Proverbs 29 said, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. One of the other translations says, A stupid man gives free rein to his anger. A wise person lets it grow cool. Anger is normally the result of hurt or frustration or fear, and sometimes we respond in ways that are so inappropriate, and we find ourselves after that moment, in the heat of those moments, a few moments later saying, I wish I'd have never reacted that way. I wish I'd have never said that. I heard the story of a guy who was so angry at his boss that he wrote a letter. I mean, he wrote it all out and everything he ever wanted to say to his boss, gave it to one of his coworkers and said, you need to mail this for me. I am so angry I can't even mail it. Coworker put it in his pocket, knowing he would settle down. Guy came to him the next day and said, oh, I wish I'd have never mailed that. I'd give 50 bucks to get that letter back. <laughs> the guy smiled and pulled out the letter. But you know as well as I do, sometimes you don't get the letter back. How many times have we heard it said, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube and all kinds of illustrations along that line. But they are so true. Because sometimes, in the middle of all of that, we say things, do things, respond in ways that are so inappropriate, and we hurt so many people that really is unnecessary. Every single one of us, you can do marriage conferences forever, but I'm here to say I think one of the things that make or break a marriage is my ability to respond to conflict. Now, if you've never had an argument, you've never had a conflict in your marriage, God bless you. It's incredible that you've done that. But it's normally not the issues of life or finances, and there's a lot of other things. I can give you the list of them in all the years that I've worked with people, but I think our response to conflict is one of the ones. You can either be an exploder, an expresser, or the repressor. The exploder may feel better for the moment, but usually leaves a lot of broken pieces in the way. And the repressor stuffs it down somewhere until later something unrelated sets it off. Now, sometimes it's not the emotional, verbal responses. Two, it was 2019, 2007, I ended up six days in intensive care in a hospital with a heart that was out of control. Began to unpack it with a number of people afterwards, and I found that my stuffing wasn't coming out in verbiage. It was affecting me physically in a really visible, physical way until it almost killed me. Sometimes it does come out in inappropriate language or inappropriate response or inappropriate ways. And sometimes it takes its toll on us physically if we just keep stuffing it down till all of a sudden it comes out in a way that has nothing to do with the circumstance of the time. The third thing I want to encourage you to do is not only learn how to re respond and not react, but when you are feeling those emotions, learn how to release it appropriately. There are right ways and wrong ways. Paul said, if you become angry, just don't let your anger lead you into sin, which is what happens when we don't deal with it. Some psychologists will say that inside of us is a bucket full of anger. And they'll say to get rid of it every once in a while, we just got to spill it out. Emotional venting. It may be what psychology says, but I think it works differently than that. You see, we're not a bucket full of anger on the inside. You and I are a factory. And there's a world of difference between a bucket and a factory. 
And it's what we allow light to do to us that determines what we create on the inside and how in step we are with the Spirit of God that determines what we produce and let come out of that factory. Which is why you've got to begin this whole point of responding to the fruit of the Spirit by what he says at the very outset of chapter 5. Walk in the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. The assumption is I'm allowing the Spirit of God to come into my life and so take over my life that I'm listening to His voice. And the second obvious thing is I'm really literally walking in step with Him. I'm not running. I'm not moving ahead. I'm not dodging it. I am in step. So when I hear the Spirit of God in a moment of my situation, the circumstance say, don't, don't say that. Stop thinking. And I'm listening to that voice. I'm listening to what he's saying. And it may be a split second. It may be a moment of time. I'm not talking about a long extended period of time. But I'm listening to that voice and I'm listening to that spirit. And I'm walking in step with that spirit. And so whatever life brings me and whatever circumstances go on around me, I determine that I will allow myself to be so in step with the spirit that whatever's being produced in me will come out appropriately. Four options when we have those kinds of issues when we're angry. Two of them don't work. One, deny it. The other, and suppress it. Don't deny it. Don't suppress it. Don't stuff it down inside because you'll either explode or implode. What sometimes in the implosion leads to depression. Good way to deal with it. Number three, confess it. Confess it to God and I think, to be honest with you, to another person. Somebody that you trust, maybe a counselor, maybe a pastor, maybe a great friend. But somebody that you really trust. I'm not saying on a Sunday morning, and I've heard it said since I began ministry years ago, we all need to stand up on Sunday morning and take our masks off and tell everybody exactly how we feel. Not necessarily everybody in a context like this. But finding that person in your life or that people in your life or that small group or life group in your life where I can be so open and vulnerable that I can share with them what God's doing in my life and I can share with them what life is doing to me and where I need help and I need growth. I also encourage you to read the Psalms. Man, if there's anybody that knows how to respond and, and share what they feel on the inside, it's David. I mean, that guy in almost every circumstance of life has a Psalm that gives us a, a platform to be able to tell God how we feel. There are times in life that I've literally read the psalm to God. I've often imagined him in heaven saying, yeah, yeah I know I wrote that. <laughs> but I, I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't know how to, how to say it. I don't know how to put it into words. So I read him the psalm or I read the psalm and I say, yeah, God, that's how I feel. That's what I'm dealing with. Help me understand that. Help me walk through that. I, I really want to be in step with your spirit. I want to learn. God, that's how I feel. That, that's, that's it. And then express it in positive ways. Find a way, whatever that may be. Any of you golf? I mean, I don't, but any of you golf? None of you golf? A few? Okay. This is, this is a great way. You take that golf ball out of your bag, and then you write somebody's name on it. Or write a circumstance on it. Or write your boss's name. Whatever's necessary, but you write somebody's name on it, and then you tee it up and you get a wood. You don't do a dry. you got to get a wood. And you just let that thing go. I mean, you will be surprised how it could improve your golf game. <laughs> I mean, some of you may have a 300-yard drive. And it really go where it's supposed to go. 
I mean, towards something they call a green, which is fascinating because the whole thing is green. You can tell I don't go. I, I shoot trap. That little orange thing. Now, I can't go into the trap house because they're all released out of here. I can't go in there and, and write names on Not that I ever would. But it is an amazing release when, when that thing gets released and, and, and then I just get to blow it up with a 12-gauge shotgun. It's fascinating. I mean, I was in the paper this summer in the league because I was able to shoot 20, 47 and 48 out of 50. And I don't know why I was so good at it. People say, why are you so good at shooting those things out of the sky? I don't know. <laughs> Must be a gift. Find a way. Find a way, find a release, handle it appropriately. Because we're, for those who don't, it really has become such a habitual response that you've got to break the habit because it's a really bad one. I love Paul's writings in, in Romans chapter 12. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to retrain your response. You've got to retrain your thinking. Determine, the way we think determines how we act. Proverbs 23, as a man thinks, so is he. Jesus said, I'm just telling you, I know exactly what's in your heart by the actions that come out of it. I know exactly what's going on inside of you by the way you respond to life and people and circumstances. That's why our thought life has to be under the control of God's Spirit. Philippians 4, brothers, whatever you do, whatever's true and noble and right and pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, anything excellent, anything praiseworthy, would you think about that instead? We've got to reprogram our mind. Just because your father or somebody else's father reacted that way doesn't mean you have to. Maybe you've got to connect with people who are patient. Proverbs 22 said, don't make friends with a hot-tempered person. <laughs> don't associate with anyone who is easily angered. Because then you end up learning their ways and get yourself ensnared. You may need to change some relationships, but obviously we've got a totally so dependent on the spirit of the living God that we allow Christ to so saturate our lives that we also take responsibility for our actions, which I think is fascinating when it ends with self-control, and we allow him to take over where we can't. Romans 15 says, May God give you endurance or patience and encouragement to give you a spirit of unity among yourselves. I read a story a long time ago, don't even know where I found it, of a pastor who walked out of the service and saw an older lady on his way out and said, how you doing? And she, like we all do, said, fine. And we all say that. And he said, look, I know your life. I know some of the things you've gone through, some of the circumstances you've gone through. How do you just simply say fine? And she said, you can't get my age or get to be my age without having a lot of difficulty and a lot of problems, a lot of dark, difficult days. But when that happens, I just go back to Jesus, who on Good Friday did not have one of his better days, physically, emotionally, relationally, and every other way. But he knew Sunday was coming. And so she said, whatever I go through, I stop long enough to think of Jesus, to ask for his help and ask for his strength, and remember Three days, it's coming. So I wait on him, I trust in him, I listen to his voice, and I've learned to respond to all of the circumstances of life in a way that would please him. Your sermon notes, statement that I said a while ago, when it comes to developing character and Christ-likeness, remember, it is a process, not always an event, but we have to want it. We have to want it. And then let God do it.
Father, I thank you for your word. I think you know as well as I do that this sermon was for me. And maybe hopefully one or two people here in our audience this morning needed it as well. I thank you for it. I thank you for the things you're teaching me, the things that you reveal in your word to all of us. Thank you for the power of your spirit. I'm so delighted, Jesus, that you loved us so much that you died on the cross to rescue us and redeem us and set us free. Thank you, God, so much for loving this world that you sent your one and only son. And thank you for sending your spirit so that we're not trying to figure this out on our own. But we're able to so allow you to overwhelm us, indwell us, enable us to really be the kinds of people that others will want to know, I want that. I want to know who that Jesus is that makes you that unique. Help us to be the kind of people that people come to and say, I want, to, I want what you've got. Walk with us in that journey, we pray in Jesus' name.